You're listening to Veterinary Vertex, a podcast of the AVMA Journals. In this episode, we chat about CBD with our guest, Joe Wachschlag. Welcome to Veterinary Vertex. I'm Editor-in-Chief Lisa Fortier, and I'm joined by Associate Editor Sarah Wright. Today, I'm super excited to have my friend and colleague, Joe Wachschlag, joining us. Joe, thank you so much for taking your time to be with us here today. Yeah, my pleasure. Thanks for having me. So, Joe, your manuscripts in both JAVMA and AJVR that are open access discuss cannabidiol and cannabidiolic acid. What are these and how do they relate to veterinary medicine and One Health? Yeah, I think it's uh, it's been an interesting journey the past five years um, because you know CBD and CBDA is what uh, we work with a lot has been sort of trending and let's just say in the human world it's uh, it's sold on every gas station corner these days regardless of uh, whether you think that's appropriate or not um, but it seems as if uh, the market's been flooded with uh, you know hemp derived cannabinoids um, not just CBD. And there's just very little, we'll just say, good clinical research that's been done on it. And in the in the human arena, what what we're finding is that that CBD is not particularly well absorbed orally, while dogs and cats actually absorb it far better. Um, so you know, the, the real clinical application may actually be in in, in in a species that can absorb it better. So that's part of what we did is tried to put together what we'll say is the the, the resources. Uh, for just the pharmacokinetics to give people a better understanding of, of why dogs and cats may be, I, I like to say, God's blessed creature in terms of cannabinoids. Um, and uh, we also wanted to talk a little bit about some of the clinical applications that, that it might be useful for. Um, so I got together with another leading expert, Steph McGrath and, and Ukai Masa, who are both at Colorado State. And we put together a couple of manuscripts just so that veterinarians just can be a little bit more in tune with what's going on in the field of cannabinoids. Great. Thank you. So what are common misconceptions about CBD and CBDA? Well, I think the misconception in general is that it's it's a catch-all for anything. If you're, you know, your dog's got a, a hangnail, oh, so give it CBD. It's going to help with that. It's, it's, it's really, it's got its indica- indications potentially. And I think that's what we're trying to figure out is, is how can we help within areas of mobility and, and how might we be able to help with anxiety um, you know, McGrath's original paper that was in JAVMA years ago talked about how it may have utility in seizures. And we followed up with a study using CBD and CBDA showing that it may actually help with refractory seizures. So uh, it's really just trying to give folks sort of the, the vantage point of knowing what's out there instead of having to go find every single article uh, to kind of give a nice review. And, and I think uh, hopefully, you know, veterinary practitioners will start to examine it a little bit more and, and see where it might have some utility. That's what I really love about these Currents in One Health manuscripts is that they really bring everything all together to make it that one singular resource for veterinarians to kind of know what's up and coming and what's current too in the literature. So I really like that. And what's the role of the veterinarian in addressing these misconceptions? Well, I think that's where I think there's a lot of, we'll just say, notions. And it always struck me as strange as people will come up to me and say, well, I'm not allowed to talk about this. And and I think even the AVMA white paper a while back gave people a great resource to to start examining whether they could, you know, potentially use it. And then also, 
you know, it came down to the fact that, you know, in 2018, hemp was not legal in this country. All of a sudden it became legal and sort of the doors flew open. Um, and then everybody said, well, you know, it's not something we should really be talking about. But at this point, who better to talk the, with than your veterinarian about these types of subjects? Do you want people talking with the breeder down the street or their neighbor? Um, you know, veterinarians are well trained to actually look at it and look at it critically and see if it it has has utility. And, you know, there's so many products out there in the market that people can buy these days. I mean, there's over 100 pet products that you can Google and, and, and buy, you know, which ones have some research behind them. Do we know that dogs will absorb it when it's in this rawhide matrix? You know, I mean, there's there's so many questions. And I think it's just great to to have the sort of platform with the AVMA to at least disseminate what we know at this point. Yeah, thank you, Joe. When I was reading your manuscripts, one of the things that struck me is you almost need like a, I think your word matrix. Does it have this? Yes. How much of this? How much of that BS product? That's the, it's the quote unquote, uh, you know, we'll call it the supplement world or nutraceutical world is everybody's got their quote unquote magic formula. But very few companies actually say, you know, hey, look, we showed it gets absorbed. And, you know, hey, look, it gets to good serum concentrations. Hey, look, we tried it in a clinical situation and it showed that there was some improvement. And and that's where, you know, you kind of try to separate, you know, yourself from the snake oil sales people out there that are just throwing something together. Don't even have a veterinarian doing it. Don't have a veterinarian oversight of, of the company in any way, shape, or form, helping with the formulation, helping with the, the possible clinical studies. And I mean, that's just sort of been the, the tenets of how I got involved was the fact that I told these folks, this, this is what you need to do as a veterinarian to, to show that your product has some potential utility. And just so few companies will actually go down that road. Yeah, I think that's important, Joe. Like you, you pointed out a few times, like this is how much of something you should have. But what's really cool, what I took home from your manuscripts is these are the things you should not have and make sure you're looking at the product label to know what things could be dangerous in there. It's one thing to buy a product that doesn't have in it what it claims to have. That's that's just a net neutral, uh, but to mm -hmm. do no harm. Yeah, and, that, and I think that's where it comes down to, um, you know, the fact that this certificate of analysis is something that every veterinarian should be looking at and asking the company for. I mean, you know, as far as you know, CBD products, there can be pesticide contamination, there can be heavy metal contamination. And I think one of our original papers a few years back looked at a bunch of products and found that one would have such significant heavy metal contamination, it probably shouldn't be on the market, right? Um, and, and you know, these are things that veterinarian, you know, it's, it's safety first. And everybody says, well, is CBD safe? Well, everybody says there's not a lot of data. Well, there actually is quite a bit of data because the original um, human product uh, that was was made for kids with seizures, it went through a lot of dog studies before it actually got marketed and they were using really high concentrations. So I think we really understand that it's pretty safe from what we can gather right now. Now it's about trying to make sure your product is safe in so many other aspects or so many other ways. And uh, that's why you know we kind of worked with you guys and trying to put something together as sort of a practitioner's guide. Yeah, thank you. The heavy metal contamination is because uh, the plant belongs to a family, and I forget the name of the family that desorbs the soil of heavy metals. Is that right? Yeah, that's the interesting stuff that we really didn't even get into. Is that you know they they've used hemp around uh, the Chernobyl power plant to get rid of the 
radiation from those facilities. Uh, it's been used in industrial areas to actually rid uh, the contamination of, of heavy metals and dioxides and things like that, just because it has such an extensive root structure, it kind of sucks up everything from, from the soil. Um, and that's why it's an important aspect of that quality control. And that's what everybody should be looking for is, you know, you know, a certificate of analysis tells you about cannabinoids, but have they tested for all these other things that are as important? That's fascinating. You spoke a little bit earlier about, you know, you pointed out to the company, you guys should really be doing some of this research, but you could say that about supplements and orthobiologics and, and tons of other things. What specifically sparked your interest clinical and in the research world in CBD? Well, you know, to be honest with you, I I got involved because, you know, companies were starting to call Cornell and say, hey, we'd like to do something, right? Um, and I told a couple of companies, this is what you need to do, and you don't hear back from them. Told another company, this is what we need to do, and they said, okay, what do you need? And uh, I said, first, we have to understand absorption in the dog and the cat. We have to understand safety. Um, so we kind of went down that road and then they said, okay, let's look at the number one indication, which is arthritis, right? Uh, or just those same mobility issues with dogs. Um, and uh, what, what fascinated me was that some of the clinical responses were, were extreme. Um, and a lot of those were really old geriatric dogs and, you know, cannabinoids. Yes, they, they may have some anti-inflammatory activity. Um, they definitely, you know, have some ability to influence the nervous system. We know that from seizure work, right? Um, and then they also can influence perception of, of sort of, we'll just say, maybe pain or wellness in general. And so, um, you know, we had people coming to the office going, I don't know what I just gave my dog, but my God, he just came up the stairs and slept on the bed with me and brought me a toy. Now, is that is that all about, you know, musculoskeletal health, uh, maybe it's about mental and, and wellness and, and feeling better. And I mean, that's that's pretty much why there are human products on the market that are mixes of, of cannabinoids that are, are there for, for cancer pain, right? I mean, there's FDA approved drugs. Um, and then, you know, you've got something for seizures that's, that's really quite interesting. And so that's what got me interested. And then I just said, there's something here. We need to keep looking and we need to keep doing more research. And luckily, I got involved with a company who's basically just said, yeah, sure, let's do it. And said, you know, don't worry about money. We'll worry about the money later. Let's do the, the, you know, the clinically relevant research and some of the safety research. And so that's what got me involved and it's been a wonderful ride. That's amazing. Well, it's a huge contribution to our profession. Other than me coercing you, uh, <laughs> what inspired you to write these manuscripts and what was really the goal for, for the one, the one health aspect? Yeah, the, the goal, at least for me, was to to provide a, a concise, you know, would say review of the literature as far as the net. And that's where, you know, yes, we're excited about the clinical indications portion, right? And, and that's what's going to be in the One Health and JAVMA coming out really soon is saying, you know, here are some of the areas where we actually think it could be very you know, useful from a clinical practitioner's point of view. What actually got me more excited was writing the other piece with Dr. Wayne Schwark, which was the pharmacokinetics, because the, the reality is, is it's very different from species to species. I mean, we just released a uh, some work that uh, was done at UC Davis and, and parrots that was an AJVR, right? And it was looking at the dosing, and it's just so different if you're a parrot versus a rabbit versus a dog. And and that's what we we're trying to do is sort of establish, like, here are the doses we think are going to work. Horses 
metabolize the living bejesus out of cannabinoids. And so you need higher doses in a horse. And so that's where we're at. We're trying to figure out what are the, the, the useful cannabinoids. And then also, you know, can we get to meaningful serum concentrations to have that potential clinical effect? And I'll say, I think dog and cat, we're, we're probably there. It's the horse is going to be the hard one. So. Yeah, I love the cross-species approach. I always think that's really cool and fascinating. Um, whenever we interview anyone for the podcast, it's actually one of the questions we ask too is, can this be applied to other species? So thanks for sharing that. So you're a diplomat of the American College of Veterinary Internal Medicine and the American College of Veterinary Sports Medicine and Rehabilitation. How did your advanced training and clinical experience prepare you to write this manuscript? Um, yeah, I, I'll just say, I think any advanced training, you know, as, as a resident going through, we become skeptics, right, of anything that's published. And so I think that's one of the nice things about residency programs is it, it, it sort of builds your repertoire of being a pretty good journal reader. Um, hopefully, even though I, I got a handful of manuscripts out there, I still struggle with some of the writing. Um, but I had really good co-authors with me that really kind of drove some of these points home. And then, you know, I think the PhD that, that I have and Lisa has also just makes you just a much more uh, critical individual. And as I always like to say, we're, we're the ultimate skeptics as uh, as board certified people and or PhD tra trained individuals. Um, you know, it's, it's uh, show me the proof and then let me criticize the proof and poke holes and things. And that's that's what I that's what I love most about going to meetings is listening to people talk about my work and then going, yeah, you're right. That wasn't a great study, but it had its merits, but it also had some some flaws. And I mean, that's what um, that's what I'd say, even getting beyond your residency and beyond your PhDs, you're always learning about the best ways to try to to do things and try to you know plug the holes. Right. Um, but we never plug them all entirely. Yeah, it's very good advice. I think it's good advice too, honestly, for our early career people that are listening to this podcast or people that are in advanced training programs. There's light at the end of the tunnel and that what you're learning is, is meaningful, essentially. So thank you for that. Yeah. This next question is arguably one of the most important questions of the podcast. If a veterinarian is about to meet a client, what is the one piece of information they should know about CBD? Um, <clears throat> I think the one thing they should know is that it right now looks to be very safe. And so I don't think you're going to do any detriment to your patient by trying it. Um, and that in general, the adverse effects of, of cannabinoids are far less than even some of the drugs we tend to typically use on a daily basis. And so I think safety is probably the number one thing veterinarians should know is that it's, it's, it's going to be safe to give it a two-week trial. It's going to be safe to probably give it long-term now based on what we're, we're finding out from some of the other groups that are releasing papers. And so I think that's what we really need to sit back and safety first, right? That's part of our oath is we, we don't want to do any anything detrimental. Um, and I'd say that we should probably even be thinking about it a little bit earlier in the, in the game instead of our last resort. Maybe it should be a first line of defense uh, of some sort. Yeah, thank you, Joe. Uh, as we wind down the podcast, and thank you again for joining us, uh, we'd like to get a little bit more on the personal side of Joe Walkschlag. And so our first question is, what is the oldest or the most interesting item either on your desk or in your desk drawer? Well, actually, right now in my desk drawer, 
is a letter opener that I hold fairly near and dear to my heart because it was given to me by my mentor as um, sort of a gift when I graduated from my PhD and finished my residency with him. Um, I still hold that pretty near and dear and look at it and think fondly of of him um, in general. So that's always been sort of always right here in the top drawer. Very good. Do you want to show it to us? Do you have it? Uh, yeah, it's top. So this is my letter opener Very from Dr. Cool. Caulfields. Very cool. Thank you for sharing that. Fran was a great man. That yeah, dovetails nicely into our next question. Uh, you know, you're clearly a very high functioning individual. Where did your resilience, inspiration, determination, whatever you want to call it, where did it come from? I think it came from when I was a graduate student and not sure what I was going to do with my life. Um, I got my first dog because my mother always told me she had allergies to dogs. And then I found out that was just the fact that she didn't want a dog. Um, and so I took out a dog and and he started having this horrible diarrhea. Of course, I was ignorant at that point and given him a big, nasty rawhide and he broke with this horrible diarrhea. And I went to the veterinarian with him and I was like, who are these people and what are they doing? And they just gave a couple of injections, said, don't you worry about it. He's going to be fine. And I just said, how do you know that? Right. And that's what got me interested in veterinary medicine. And then I sort of went from there. And it's always been about being inquisitive and, and you know, I want to know more. And, and that that kind of got me into the field. And I, you know, I got into veterinary medicine really because of my love for the idea of medicine and, and, and what you can do and how you can drive things forward. And I think that's why, you know, that's why I still am in academia is because I wanted to drive research questions forward. I had a love of the Arctic breeds and sporting dogs. I used to have my own sled dog team. And that was, you know, if you look through the literature base, that's a lot of what I still like to do is. You know, I've, I always find the resource and the way to to, to you know, study the sled dog metabolism and rhabdomyolysis and things like that, because those are the areas that interest me. And just looking to help to create healthier dogs and cats in general and occasionally horses. We've worked a little bit together, Lisa. So and that's always been the thing is I still love getting new data. It excites me when I see new data come in and it's like, OK, we have to analyze this. We want to know more. Yeah, we belong to a very special profession. We're really, really fortunate. It's really cool the impact we can make. Yeah, absolutely. But thank you so much again, Joe, for being here and also for being a Currents in One Health author as well. We really appreciate your time and your work. No, thanks. Thanks for reaching out. And I think we uh, hopefully will provide a nice resource for all the clinicians out there and some of the researchers. And there's, there's more on the way. Let's put it that way. <laughs> awesome. Love to hear that. To our listeners, you can read Joe's open access Currents in One Health manuscript on our journal's website and in print JAFMA. I'm Dr. Sarah Wright with Dr. Lisa Fortier. We want to thank each of you for joining us on this episode of the Veterinary Vertex podcast. We love sharing cutting-edge veterinary research with you, and we want to hear from you. Be sure to leave us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts or whatever platform you listen to.